A Display of Arminianism by John Owen Chapter 1 Of the two main ends aimed at by the Arminians by their innovations and the received doctrine of the Reformed churches. The soul of man, by reason of the corruption of his nature, is not only darkened with a mist of ignorance in which he is disenabled for the comprehending of divine truth, but is also armed with prejudice and opposition against some parts of it, which are either most above or most contrary to some false principles which he has framed to himself. As the desire of self-sufficiency was the first cause of this infirmity, so a conceit of it is that in which he still languishes, and nothing does he more contend for than an independency of any supreme power, which might either help, hinder, or control him in his actions. This is that bitter root from whence have sprung all those heresies and wretched contentions which have troubled the church concerning the power of man in his work in his own happiness, and his exemption from the overruling providence of Almighty God, all which wrangling disputes of carnal reason against the word of God come at last to this head. Whether the first, the chiefest part, in disposing of things in this world ought to be ascribed to God or to man, Men for the most part have indicated this preeminence to themselves by exclamations that so it must be, or else that God is unjust and his ways unequal. Never did any man more eagerly endeavor the erecting of this babel than the Arminians, the modern blinded patrons of human self-sufficiency, all whose innovations in the received doctrine of the Reformed churches aim at intend to one of these two ends first, to exempt themselves from God's jurisdiction, to free themselves from the supreme dominion of all of its ruling providence, not to live and move in him, but to have an absolute independent power in all of their actions, so that the event of all things in which they have any interest might have a considerable relation to nothing but chance, contingency, and their own free wills, a most nefarious sacrilegious attempt. To the sin first, they deny the eternity and unchangeableness of God's decrees. For these being established, they feared they should be kept within bounds from doing anything but what his counsel has determined should be done. If the purposes of the strength of Israel be eternal and immutable, their idle free will must be limited their independency prejudice, wherefore they choose rather to affirm that his decrees are temporary and changeable, yea, that he does really change them according to the several mutations he sees in us, which how wild a conceit it is, how contrary to the pure nature of God, how destructive to his attributes, I shall show in the second chapter. Secondly, they question the prescience or foreknowledge of God, for if known to God are all of his work from the beginning, if he certainly foreknew all things that shall hereafter come to pass, it seems to cast an infallibility of event upon all their actions, which encroaches upon the large territory of their new goddess, contingency. Nay, it would quite dethrone the queen of heaven and induce a kind of necessity of our doing all, and nothing but what God foreknows. Now that to deny this prescience is destructive to the very essence of the deity, in plain atheism shall be declared in the third chapter. Thirdly, 
They depose all the governing providence of this king of nations, denying its energetical, effectual power in turning the heart, ruling the thoughts, determining the wills, and disposing the actions of men by granting nothing to it but a general power and influence. To be limited and used according to the inclination and will of every particular agent, so making Almighty God a desirer that many things were otherwise than they are, and an idle spectator of most things that are done in the world, the falseness of which assertions shall be proved. In the fourth chapter, fourthly, they denied the irresistibility and uncontrollable power of God's will, affirming that oftentimes he seriously wills and intends what he cannot accomplish and so is deceived of his aim. Nay, whereas he desires and really intends to save every man, it is wholly in their own power whether he shall save any one or not. Otherwise their idol, free will, should have but a poor deity. If God could, how and when he would, cross and resist him in his dominion. Concerning thee, see the fifth chapter. Corrupted nature is still ready either nefariously with Adam to attempt to be like God, or to think foolishly that he is altogether like to us, one of which inconveniences all men run into who have not learned to submit their frail wills to the almighty will of God, and captivate their understandings to the obedience of faith. Secondly, the second end at which the new doctrine of the Arminians aims is to clear human nature from the heavy imputation of being sinful, corrupted, wise to do evil but unable to do good, and so to vindicate to themselves the power and ability of doing all that good which God can justly require to be done by them in the state in which they are, of making themselves differ from others who will not make so good use of the endowments of their natures. Just so the first and chiefest part in the work of their salvation may be ascribed to themselves, a proud, Luciferian endeavor. To this end, first, they deny the doctrine of predestination in which God is affirmed to have chosen certain men before the foundation of the world, that they should be holy and obtain everlasting life by the merit of Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. Any such predestination which may be the fountain and cause of grace or glory, determining the persons according to God's good pleasure on whom they shall be bestowed, for this doctrine would make the special grace of God to be the sole cause of all the good that is in the elect, more than in the reprobates. It would make faith a work and gift of God with a number of other things which would show their idol to be nothing and of no value. Therefore, what a corrupt heresy they have substituted into the place. Secondly, to deny original sin and its demerit, which being rightly understood would easily demonstrate that. Notwithstanding all the labor of the smith, the carpenter, and the painter, yet your idol is of its own nature but an unprofitable block, it will discover not only the impotency of doing good, which is in our nature, but show also whence we have it. Thirdly, if we will charge our human nature with a repugnancy to the law of God, they will maintain that it was also in Adam when he was first created, as so comes from God himself. Fourthly, they deny the efficacy of the merit of the death of Christ, both that God intended by his death to redeem his church, or acquire to himself a holy people, is also that Christ by his death has merited and procured for us grace, faith, or righteousness, 
and power to obey God and fulfill in the condition of the new covenant. Nay, this were plainly to set up an ark, to break their Dagon's neck. For what, pray, say they, can be due to ourselves for believing if the blood of Christ has procured God to bestow faith upon us? Fifthly, if Christ will claim such a share in saving of his people, of them that believe in him, they will grant some to have salvation quite without him. They never heard so much as a report of a Savior, and indeed in nothing did they advance or idle near the throne of God than in this blasphemy. Sixthly, having thus robbed God, Christ, and his grace, they adorn their idle free will with many glorious properties no way due to it. Seventhly, they do not only claim to the new-made deity a saving power, but also affirm that he is very active if inoperative in the great work of saving our souls. First, in fitly preparing us for the grace of God and so disposing of ourselves that it becomes due to us. Secondly, in the effectual working of our conversion together with it. And so at length with much toil and labor they have placed an altar for their idol in the holy temple on the right hand of the altar of God, and on it offer sacrifice to their own net and drag, at least not at all to God, nor all to free will, but let the sacrifice of praise for all good things be divided between them. Chapter 2 Of the eternity and immutability of the decrees of Almighty God, denied and overthrown by the Armenians, it has been always believed among Christians and that upon infallible grounds, as I shall show hereafter, that all the decrees of God is their internal, so they are eternal, acts of his will, and therefore unchangeable and irrevocable. Multiple decrees and occasional resolutions are most contrary to the pure nature of Almighty God. Such principles as these, evident and clear by their own light, were never questioned by any before the Arminians began to do so and to profess themselves to delight in opposing common notions of reason concerning God and his essence, that they might exalt themselves into his throne, to ascribe the least mutability to the divine essence with which all the attributes and internal free acts of God are one and the same, was ever accounted hyperbole, transcended atheism in the highest degree. Now be this crime of what nature it will, it is no unjust imputation to charge it on the Arminians, because they confess themselves guilty and glory in their crime. First, to undermine and overthrow the eternity of God's purpose by affirming that, in order of the divine decrees, there are some which precede every act of the creature, and some again that follow them. Now all the acts of every creature being but of yesterday, temporary, like themselves, surely those decrees of God cannot be eternal, which follow them in order of time. And yet they press us, especially in respect of human actions, as a certain unquestionable verity. It is certain that God wills or determines many things which he would not, did not, some act of man's will go before it. Says the great master Arminius, the like affirms with a little addition, as men do always, his genuine scholar says, I suppose that God wills many things which he neither would nor justly could will and purpose did not some action of the creature proceed. And here observe that in these places they speak not of God's external works, of those actions which outwardly are of him, as inflicting a punishment, 
bestowing of rewards and other such outward acts of his providence, whose administration we confess to be various and diversely applied to several occasions. But if the internal purposes of God's will, his decrees and intentions which have no present influence upon or respect to any action of the creature, yea, the denied that concerning many things God has any determinate resolution at all, or any purpose further than a natural affection towards them, God doth, or omits, that towards which in his own nature and his proper inclination he is affected as he finds man to comply or not to comply with that order which he is appointed, in quote, saith Corvinus. Surely these men do not care what indignities they cast upon the God of heaven, so they may maintain their pretended endowments of their own wills. For such an absolute power did they here ascribe to them, that God himself cannot determine of a thing whereunto as, they strangely phrase it, he is well affected, before by an actual concurrence he assured their compliance. Now this imputation that they are temporary, which they cast upon the decrees of God in general, they press home upon that particular which lies most in their way, the decree of election. Concerning this, they tell us roundly that it is false that election is confirmed from eternity, says our monstrance in their apology, notwithstanding that Paul tells us that it is the purpose of God, Romans 9.11, and that we were chosen before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. Neither is it anything material what the Arminians there grant, namely that there is a decree preceding this, which may be said to be from everlasting. For seeing that Paul teaches us that election is nothing but God's purpose of saving us, to affirm that God generally decreed that he would elect us, is all one is to say to God purpose that in time he would purpose to save us. Such resolutions may be fit for their own wild heads, but must not be ascribed to God only wise. Secondly, as he affirmed them to be temporary and to have had a beginning, so also to expire and have an ending, to be subject to change and variableness. Some acts of God's will cease at a certain time, saith Episcopius. What does anything come into his mind that changes his will? Yes, says Arminius. He would have all men to be saved, but compelled with the stubborn and incorrigible malice of some. He will have them to miss it. However, this is some recompense, denying God a power to do what he will. They grant him to be contented to do what he may not much repine at his hard condition. Certainly, if but for this favor, he is a debtor to the Arminians. Thieves get what they do not take. Having robbed God of his power, they believe him so much goodness as that he shall not be troubled at it, though he be sometimes compelled to what it is very loath to do. How do they and their fellows, the Jesuits, exclaim upon poor John Calvin for sometimes using the hard work of compulsion? describing the effectual powerful working of the providence of God in the actions of men. But they can fasten the same term on the will of God, and no harm is done. Surely he will one day plead his own cause against them. It is to make themselves absolute that they thus cast off the yoke of the Almighty, and that both in things concerning this life and that which is to come. They are much troubled that it should be said that every one of us bring along with us into the world an unchangeable preordination of life and death eternal. For such a supposal would quite overthrow the main foundation of their heresy, 
namely that men can make their election void and frustrate, as they jointly lay it down in their apology. Nay, it is a dream, saith Dr. Jackson, to think of God's decrees concerning things to come as of acts irrevocably finished, which would hinder that which Welsingius lays down for a truth to wit that the elect may become reprobates and the reprobates elect, end quote. Now to these particular sayings is their whole doctrine concerning the decrees of God, inasmuch as they have any reference to the actions of men most exactly conformable, is first, their distinction of them into peremptory and not peremptory, terms rather used in the citations of litigious courts and as expressions of God's purpose in sacred scripture, is not as by them applied compatible with the unchangeableness of God's eternal purposes. They say, these are temporary believers, and they are elected, though not peremptorily, with such an act of God's will as has a coexistence every way commensurate, both in its original continuance and end, with their fading faith, which sometimes, like Jonas Gord, is but. In the morning it flourishes, in the evening it is cut down, dried up, and withers. A man in Christ by faith are actually believing, which to do is, as they say, in everyone's own power is in their opinion the proper object of election. Of election, I say, not peremptory, which is an act pendant, expecting the final perseverance and consummation of his faith, and therefore immutable, because man having fulfilled his course, God has no cause to change his purpose of crowning him with reward. Thus also, as they teach, a man according to his infidelity, whether present and removable, or obdurate and final, it's the only object of reprobation, which in the latter case is peremptory and absolute, in the former conditional and alterable. It is the qualities of faith and unbelief in which their election and reprobation attend. Now let a faithful man, elected of God according to his present righteousness, apostatize totally from grace as to affirm that there is any promise of God implying his perseverances with them to overthrow all religion, and let the unbelieving reprobate depose his incredulity and turn himself to the Lord, answerable to this mutation of their condition, or the changings of the purpose of the Almighty concerning their everlasting state. Again, suppose these two, by alternate courses, as the doctrine of apostasy maintains, they may, should return each to their former state. The decrees of God concerning them must again be changed, for it is unjust with them either not to elect him that believes, though it be but for an hour, or not to reprobate unbelievers. Now what unchangeableness can we fix to these decrees, which it lies in the power of man to make as inconstant as Europus, making it beside to be possible that all the members of Christ's church, whose names are written in heaven, should within one hour be enrolled in the black, Book of Damnation. Secondly, as these not peremptory decrees are mutable, so they make the peremptory decrees of God to be temporal. Quote, final impenitency, they say, is the only cause, and the final unrepentant sinner is the only object of reprobation. Peremptory and irrevocable. As the poet thought none happy, so they think no man to be elected or a reprobate before his death. Now that denomination he does receive from the decrees of God concerning this eternal state, which must necessarily then be first enacted, 
The relation that is between the act of reprobation and the person reprobated imports a coexistence of denomination. When God reprobates a man, he then becomes a reprobate, which, if it be not before he has actually fulfilled a measure of its iniquity, and filled it up with the talent of final impenitency in his death, the decree of God must needs be temporal, the just judge of all the world having till then suspended its determination, expecting the last resolution of this changeable Proteus. Nay, the God's decrees concerning man's eternal states are in their judgment temporal, and not beginning until their death is plain from the whole course of their doctrine especially where they strive to prove that if there were any such determination, God cannot threaten punishments or promise rewards. Who, say they, can threaten punishment to him whom by a peremptory decree he will have to be free from punishment? It seems he cannot have determined to save any whom he threatens to punish if they sin, which is evident he does all so long as they live in this world which makes God not only mutable, but quite deprives him of his foreknowledge. It makes a form of his decree run thus, quote, If a man will believe, I determine he shall be saved. If he will not, I determine he shall be damned. That is, I must leave him in the meantime to do what he will, so I may meet with him in the end. Thirdly, they affirm no decree of Almighty God concerning men is so unalterable, but that all those who are now in rest or misery might have had contrary lots, that those which are damned, as Pharaoh, Judas, and so on, might have been saved, and those which are saved, as the Blessed Virgin, Peter, and John, might have been damned, which must needs reflect with a strong charge of mutability on Almighty God who knows who are His. A number of other instances in this nature I could produce in which it would be further evident that these innovators in Christian religion overthrow the eternity and unchangeableness of God's decrees, but these are sufficient to any discerning man. And I will add in the close an antidote against his poison briefly shown what the scriptures and right reason teach us concerning the secret acts of the Most High. In the first place, known unto God, says James, are all of his works from the beginning. Acts 15 verse 18. Whence it has hitherto been concluded that whatever God does in time bring to pass that he decreed from all eternity, so to do. All his works were from the beginning known to him. Consider it particularly in the decree of election, that fountain of all spiritual blessings, that the saving sense and assurance thereof, Second Peter 1.10, being attained might effect a spiritual rejoicing in the Lord. Such things are everywhere taught as may raise us to the consideration of it, as of an eternal act, irrevocably and immediately established. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. His purpose according to election before we were born must stand, Romans 9.11. For to the irreversible stability of this act of its will he is set to the seal of its infallible knowledge. 2 Timothy 2.19 His purpose of our salvation by grace not according to works was before the world began. 2 Timothy 1.9 An eternal purpose proceeding from such a will as to which none can resist, joined with such a knowledge as to which all things past, present, and to come, are open and evident must needs also be, like the law of the Medes and Persians, permanent and unalterable. Secondly, the decrees of God being conformable to his nature and essence require eternity, 
and immutability as their inseparable properties. God, and he only never was nor ever can be what now he is not, passive possibility to anything which is a fountain of all change can have no place in him who is actus, simplex, and purely free from all composition. So James affirms that with him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James 1.17 With him that is in his will and purposes and himself by his prophet. I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Malachi 3.6 Where he proves the not changing of his gracious purposes is because he is the Lord. The eternal acts of his will not really differing from his unchangeable essence must needs be immutable.